This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Problem Solved. I'm your host, Casey Spansel. Joining me today are Annie Dorsey and Eva Gluck, two recent ISE graduates who share their experience transitioning from college into the workplace. Annie was IISE student chapter president at Auburn University and is now an intermodal transportation analyst for Walmart in Arkansas. Eva was also a chapter president at Central Florida University and is now a process engineer with Procter & Gamble in Ohio. In our discussion, we talk about the challenges of finishing college during the pandemic, along with adapting to work in a hybrid setting. They also pass along some tips for young graduates following in their footsteps. Eva and Annie, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Problem Solved. Today, we're going to be talking about your background, where you went to college, how it ties into the jobs you're doing now, and along with the internships that you've done along the way. So Annie, describe to me your background. Why did you decide to become an industrial and systems engineer? I kind of all my life had been doing industrial engineering-esque things. And you're like, what is industrial engineering when you like don't have any training? Well, like, for example, I always joke that like my the best gift I've ever gotten was a label maker. And I like spent the rest of my whole entire Christmas break, like labeling everything around the house, like doing 5S before I knew what 5S was. I was like doing the um, traveling salesman problem when we were like mapping out our road trips and being like, we want to stop at these places. Like all of those things were kind of like in the back of my head, but I had no idea what industrial engineering was. Um, My dad and brother are both engineers and my dad had worked with a bunch of industrial engineers in the past and was like, you should look into I like it might be interesting I think it might be a really good fit and I was just kind of like what like dad you're just wanting me to do what you're doing and like that's not gonna happen was kind of my thought um ended up fast forward I took like a bunch of um aptitude tests that they get like they had aptitude tests and different things and I went in and they were like well have you ever heard of industrial engineering and I was like, oh no, like my dad told me that, I guess that's what I'm going to do. Um, so that was kind of how I got to industrial engineering at Auburn um, and, and kind of landed on that. Great. So Eva, what about you? Was engineering in your blood? Uh, did you have a lot of family members that were engineers or how did you come across industrial engineering? So it's kind of funny. Um, Growing up, I was really into theater. Like I went to the middle school, the arts, the high school, the arts, so like almost thought I was going to do that with my life, which is sort of like a 180 from IE. Um, And then I kind of had a change of heart about it in high school where, you know, I was always really good at math and I was always like trying to figure out what the next best move for me was. And I wasn't feeling like that original mindset I had was what I wanted in my life. Um, and I had a cousin who was an engineer and I shadowed her for a day and I was like, Hmm, you know what? I could see myself doing this. So I came into college as undecided engineering. And then we had this intro to engineering lecture where 
professors or people from different engineering paths would come in and talk about what that major was about. And the one for industrial engineering really like spoke to me. I thought originally, oh, I'll do mechanical. That's the most generic one. Um, And then the person from mechanical spoke and I was like, oh God, not this. (laughs) (laughs) And industrial engineering, the whole idea of taking processes and and making them better and it kind of being the most collaborative engineering, I would say it's a lot less of, you know, being by yourself, catting on your computer, coding on your computer. It's more like having to be out on the floor and really making the changes on the ground level was what was kind of exciting for me in this type of role. And I chose the major freshman year and I stuck with it. That's great. So speaking of collaborating with people, right? Uh, that was kind of lost the past couple of years with pandemic. Were y'all still in school whenever the pandemic started? Yes. Um, I think halfway through my junior year of college is when things really started to ramp up. Mm -hmm. Um, It was pretty crazy kind of leaving for spring break and then them saying, you know, classes are canceled for two weeks. And then it was like, actually, they're canceled forever. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So it was a pretty big adaptation of transferring everything remotely. I was also the president of ISE my senior year, and that was when we took everything virtual. So yeah, it was interesting trying to network with people through kind of a new medium. Um, but I think the world adapted pretty quickly. Definitely. Annie, what about you? What were some of the challenges for you uh, whenever, yeah. you know, COVID reached its peak, you know, in 2020, 2021? I think the craziest thing for me, was like shifting all of my classes and all of these, um, like softwares that we could only use at, at the, in the classroom, basically. Um, softwares that were on Auburn's network or things like having to adapt to getting those on our computers. Obviously, like the class, you know, where you have really interactive classes and teachers like you to whiteboard and get up in groups. Like that was a totally new thing. Um, I had some teachers who got really creative and were like, we don't like online classes. No one likes online classes. Like let's do a, like bring your pet to class day or like wear a fun hat or like today is Mardi Gras themed. So like there were definitely things, um, but it was like so different when so much of our classwork was so collaborative to then be online, like seeing, it was funny. My, I had a friend who was like, Oh, I'm so proud of you, Annie, that you make your bed every day. And I'm like, oh, you would never know that, but I'm doing class in my room and that's what you see right behind me. Like just funny things like that. Um, So certainly, certainly an adjustment. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that stuck out to me, so I was working full time and um, I'm in manufacturing, so I never worked from home. I still went to the office and, you know, I'll never forget that Monday in mid-March two years ago and driving to work and it was a ghost town, you know, New Orleans is a pretty big city. So, you know, there's, you know, commuter traffic and things like that. So I just remember just feeling totally weirded Mm -hmm. out by the fact that there's, there's no one out walking. There was, I mean, there was no cars on the road, nothing. So it was this really weird, eerie kind of feeling, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like it was then that I think I realized, you know, wow, like this is, this is serious stuff, you know, because there's some part of you that 
downplays it just for the sake of not having to really face it. And then Mm. once that happened, it was very surreal. So I can only imagine what it was like being in school still, because at the college level, it's a little bit different, um, you know, because, you know, you can still interact with your professors and things like that. And I'm sure now even, you know, there are a lot of times where, you know, there are probably virtual things that y'all would do. I can only imagine the challenges and especially, you know, I know for me, whenever I was an undergrad at LSU, a lot of things that we did was we worked on projects, you know, every class had a project and you had to work on a team. So what were some of the challenges? Like, you know, did y'all still have projects that you had to work on with a team or did they kind of alter, you know, the course based on not being able to interact with people? Definitely. We still had teams and it was the kind of thing where if we got assigned random teams and you weren't going into the classroom to meet that person every day, if you didn't know them, good luck getting in contact with them, right? Like everyone's all over the world. Um, I know I had some people that had gone back home for spring break, like Eva was saying, um, and they weren't able to come back. And so they're working like their classes are all during the night. So they'd wake up at like three in the morning to go to class. Um, so like literally working with people on a global scale, like it, there were tons and tons of things, um, you know, you had to get used to collaborating and okay, let me share my screen. Okay. Can you stop sharing so I can share like things like that? It was, it was quite challenging. So I would say for myself that I think I got pretty lucky with the group projects that I had that I never had a group member ghost me virtually. (laughs) Um, and actually I had my senior design project still in the midst of COVID and the company I was working with let us come on site and all of our team members would meet up there once a week, um, and, and work in person, uh, which was a rarity for senior design. So I think we're pretty lucky to have that opportunity during the pandemic. Definitely. So Since that happened while you were still in school and then transitioning, you know, into the workforce, how did that affect you going from being a student to working full time as an engineer? What was that transition like? Yeah, I I like to say I'm a pro at starting jobs remotely. Um, (laughs) By the time I started my full time job, it was my fourth job started completely remotely. Um, so like, I mean, you think about it, internships and different things that you get involved with. Um, it's crazy how many things, um, like getting to know your boss's communication style over zoom and like over Slack and over like all of these ways. And like, I'm like, Oh, I've never seen their face. Not that it matters, but like, I don't have any idea what this John person looks like, but I talk to him all day, every day or things like that. Um, and I, I think I realized like, okay, in without all of the like personal interaction that you would get in the office, like, okay, how can you set up that in a virtual sense? Like, okay, let's set up virtual coffee chats and let's set up um, intern different groups and let's have people come chat with the intern. So I think at a couple of different jobs that I did, um, they did real, they did really good um, jobs with, you know, getting us to understand the culture of the company. Um, Because when you're interning, obviously it's, okay, do I want to work here full time? Or do I, you know, it's kind of an interview both ways of how is this going to work out going forward? Um, 
And so it was really telling to see like who put in effort for their culture and to get that across to us, even when we're on the other side of computer. Mm -hmm. My first few internships did not start virtually. I was in person on the manufacturing floor at Lockheed Martin at Pratt and Whitney. And then I think it was the summer of 2020 that everything kind of went down or March, 2020 and that internship that I had that summer turned virtual. And I really did feel like the effect that it had on the internship because it was supposed to be something that was on the floor doing projects that would help the site. And we weren't allowed to come in in person. So I would say that was with PepsiCo. I would say that they adapted pretty well. They created a lot of online content for us, but it really just wasn't the same learning experience that it would have been if there wasn't a pandemic. So I think that kind of had a negative impact. But then starting in my full-time job, I was kind of in a unique position that the week I started was the week that Procter & Gamble came back in person. So... And my boss was a really big proponent of wanting to come in every single day. So I worked in the office every day um, in person. And so I was able to meet a lot of people face-to-face. But in reality, my job is so connected with other sites that I'm communicating with people in different cities, in in different locations um, that... So much of my conversations are via Teams and virtually, and it would have been that way, pandemic or not. Mm-hmm. So, Eva, you're back, you know, full time, you know, five days a week at the office right now. Yes. Well, actually, we, we've turned it down to two days a week. Um, that person who was a really big proponent of that is on maternity leave. So, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so, you're doing a hybrid situation right now. Correct. Yeah. Annie, what about you? Yeah, we're also hybrid um, with with flexibility, um, which has been really nice. For example, today um, I'm in Bentonville, Arkansas, and it is really rainy, crazy weather. Last night there were tornadoes. Um, and so I woke up this morning and said, okay, I'm not going to go into the office today. Um, so it's really nice to have that flexibility. Um, it's kind of fun. It's like roulette seeing who you're going to see in the office. Like, oh, I'll go in today and there might be 10 members of my team and then I'll go in tomorrow and there might be two. Um, so it keeps it interesting. Um, like Eva said, it's it's kind of funny meeting people in person for the first time because, you know, you're like, oh, it's nice to meet you. Oh, it's nice <laughs> to meet you in person. Like, it's just kind of awkward and clunky getting getting used to that. Um, but I have learned, I feel like, a ton about my coworkers and probably the same. Like, I would never message my coworkers and say, hey, guys, I'm looking for a new desk chair, right? But if I'm in the office, I'm like, wow, I really like this desk chair. Maybe I should get one. And they're like, oh, are you looking? And, you know, like, those natural kind of conversations just come about. And and you meet people with similar hobbies and, like, all different walks of life, which has been really fun. So do you feel like being remote and then so net and now hybrid, do you feel like it's made it more difficult to um, get acclimated to the role and the people that you're working with? 
Um, in a certain sense, probably, uh, I think it depends on what you're talking about. Like for training, I think it's certainly easier to turn to a coworker and ask them a question versus like writing up a message and then sending it and then waiting for a response, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of, I feel like get away with maybe asking more questions when you're in person because you can look at their computer and gauge what they're doing and if they're super busy right then versus you right. can't necessarily on zoom. Um, so that, that, um, it, I think it maybe depends on wh- when it is and things like that. Um, it's been really nice to have a mixture and to have days that I get to stay at home and maybe do more. Like if I'm just on the computer doing online things like online trainings or things, um, but then also get, get to go in at, Definitely. Eva, what about you? So I started fully in person, but everyone in my office wasn't really fully in person. So Mm. there was about two other people who came in all the time that I was there. Um, Mm. And then other than that, like dead zone of office. And it wasn't until much later that more people started to come in. People were coming in three days a week. Um, And I definitely see the foster of collaboration that happens when you're in the same workspace um, as with people, especially with people who are in kind of like the same entry level playing field as me. Um, So like I have a person who sits near me now that works on a technology that is intertwined with the one that I'm on. Um, Mm -hmm. So then whenever I have a question about what he's doing and how it relates to what I'm doing, I can easily turn my head and just be like, Hey, (laughs) pull me out with this. And then he does the same with me. So it's a really great experience. Um, I think if you're in a setting where you're sitting next to people where you can't really turn your head and do that, it even being in the office doesn't really mean anything uh, versus being online. And I will say that we use teams. So maybe there's a little bit different experience of knowing when people are available or busy because there's that little emblem on it um, that I feel like, all right, they have a green symbol. I'm going to message them whatever I want to message them. (laughs) Yeah. That definitely helps a lot to know everyone's availability. I know that for me, you know, I love teams for that same reason because, you know, if someone's in a meeting, you know, you're like, okay, I'll just talk to them later on. You know, it can wait. So that definitely helps. I definitely agree with that. Annie, you had something you want to add to that? Yeah. I was just going to say, Eva, that's a really good point. I have also like chatted with a couple of new hires um, and things like that. And been like, okay, so what do you do? And then I kind of like learn a better view of the business. Um, I have a friend like same as you sit a, sits a couple rows away from me. Um, and so we'll just like pop our head into the row and be like, Hey, what, you know, like, what are you doing today? And Oh, I'm doing this sequel, whatever. And so it's fun to, to chat back and forth about the different projects. Yeah, it's the kind of distractions that actually help the business, I think. For sure. Of like, oh, learning from what they're doing and it helps you on the project that you're doing. And those kind of interactions may not have happened if you're only virtual. Right. Eva, did you intern with your current company prior to accepting the job? I did not. So I think that caused maybe a little bit of a more struggle adapting into the culture of this company. Um, and coming in, like I said, to an office that was basically a dead zone, um, and not really knowing like how to act as a Procter and Gamble employee versus a 
just me in my normal state. Um, so that on top of moving to a new city that I'd never been to before and not knowing anyone there and jumping into a job where before this job, so my role specifically works with automated guided vehicles or AGVs, which are robot forklifts. I had never heard of what an AGV was. So it wasn't like I had all the background knowledge in the world. <laughs> so it was challenging coming in. Um, but, you know, perseverance and uh, <laughs> eventually figured things out. Annie, did you intern uh, with your current company prior to accepting a full-time position? Yes, I did. Um, so I currently work for Walmart in their intermodal business. If you're not familiar, intermodal is rail, um, which is trains. Um, and essentially, uh, it's a brand new team. Um, and I interned with this same brand new team over the summer. Um, so that made definitely the adjustment like quite a bit easier. Um, we are growing because we're a brand new team. And so we've had tons and tons of new people. I think we've had like... By the, from the time I left in August to when I joined again in January, we had like six or eight new hires. So oh. the, right, right. The team like doubled in size. Um, and so there were a lot of dynamics and things that were different, but I, I had a foundational understanding. I knew what intermodal was, et cetera. Um, and so it has been fun to now like learn a different side of the business. Over the summer, I was doing primarily strategy. Um, and now I'm doing like pretty operations based, um, which again, like Eva is, has been really great to like interact with people from other sites and learn like more about the fortune one and like, just, just take it all in and get kind of two different views of the business from the same team. So speaking of that, what are some of your job responsibilities that you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis? So this summer, like I said, I was doing strategy. Um, with that strategy, I was basically building a business case to buy intermodal boxes, um, which would basically meet all of our rail needs. Now I'm kind of on the flip side of that, um, where we ordered all the boxes that we would need for all of our... Um, moves on the rail. And now I'm kind of dealing with bringing them into the country um, and then getting them from the port to their final destination, coordinating with the rail, um, different rail ramps, rail terminals, um, and then getting the final dray piece. So quick overview, really quick aside um, about intermodal. Intermodal is obviously between modes. So an intermodal box is something that can be picked up and put on the ocean, an ocean vessel, and then the same container loaded with the same freight can be put onto a chassis on the back of a truck and just like an 18-wheeler. And then the same box can be picked up and put onto the rail. And that's how it basically, the freight is really efficiently gotten across the country. Um, and as you know, or you may not know, um, it is like the most sustainable um, because it uses the least, like it has the least carbon footprint of like any mode of transportation. 
I'm sure. I mean, just thinking about, you know, you talking about it and, you know, what little I know about it, uh, just thinking about all of that non-value add that's been eliminated by being Mm -hmm. able to keep it all in one box and not having to load, unload, transfer to here and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's what we live, breathe and eat, right? Right. (laughs) So that's awesome. (laughs) Eva, what about you? What are some of your daily job responsibilities? feel like it's it's different every day uh, but I definitely so I work on what's called a platform team so basically I am trying to standardize and make sure that each site is following the best practices so we have a few different sites using these same types of AGVs that I am responsible for making sure that all of our innovation gets to each site Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of testing, different functionality. I write a lot of standards and try to apply those standards back. I also have been pretty involved with startup support. Right now, we're starting up an entirely new site from scratch that's going to have AGV. It's going to have a lot of automation technology in it. And I'm kind of part of that process of getting it up and running. and then. Loss elimination type activities of trying to make our AGVs as optimal as possible. That's awesome. Being part of a new site, you know, bring that up to speed. It's uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> so there's a lot of moving pieces, and um, so yeah, I I definitely hear you when you say that that there's a lot going on, and it's but the payoff in the end is great because you know you get to say yes, I was part of the team that helped you know, create this. So it's, it's really great to be able to do that and be a part of that. So that's really awesome. I'm glad that you're getting to do that. And in one sense, Eva, like almost starting afresh, you can sort of like plan the optimal routes from the get go. You're not trying to like retroactively build out the AGVs probably. Which exactly. So like more. in the other sites, they started with manual operation. Right. So the, rack, the way the racking was set up, um, was not really the best setup for AGVs. Um, And now with Greater Chicago starting up, um, we made sure that the racking and the the zoning of all of our product is, fits, you know, perfectly for AGV setup. So it's cool to have that that setup from the Mm get-go. So you talked a little bit about, you know, what your job entails. Tell me about a challenge that you faced, right? And I know this sounds like a job interview, <laughs> but what, tell me about a challenging time, uh, whether either during your internship or at work and how did your ISC skills help you get through that? Annie, you go ahead first. <laughs> so in my internship with Walmart, um, to, to plan the box purchase, they basically told me, we have all of this intermodal freight and we have all of these other needs for the boxes. Um, How many do we need? And so when we started looking, I'm like, okay, this model shouldn't be too crazy. Like let's do a traveling salesman. And like, well, we started looking at it and they basically said that they never, we want to minimize our, uh, our empty moves. So we never want the box to be traveling, let's say more than a hundred miles empty. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not very long. 
And if, if you know anything about freight coming into the U.S., a lot of it comes in from Southern California and then needs to go out. So the port of LA and the port of Long Beach, um, and then needs to go out all over the U S well, then how do we get the boxes back to Southern California? Cause they don't need a ton of freight going back in. So the problem mm-hmm. as we looked at it just got more and more complex. Um, and I'm like, I don't even know how to like wrap my brain around this. Um, so one of the things that we did that was really helpful um, was lay out all of our assumptions. And basically what I was thinking is, okay, as long as my assumptions are really well documented, um, then at least the person coming behind me and double checking everything can say, okay, this assumption is fine, but this one is not. Let's go back and change the model. Um, so I think that was super helpful. I had a lot of experience in undergrad with Simeo, um, doing simulation type modeling, um, some Python experience, some SQL experience. So I had a good basis um, for knowing how to build this. Um, and then it was just a matter of execution. I think there were several times that I went to my manager and said, I'm lost. Help. Like, where do I go from here? Um, or, you know, kind of just team collaboration where I was like, I can't figure out this super thorny problem. Let's root cause it, um, et cetera. So I think there's a lot. I was actually reading last summer um, Taichi Ono's book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read a bunch, a lot, a lot during the pandemic and still kind of pandemic time. But um, so as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, th- like five whys. This could be used in this instance. I'm like, oh, this kind, like all these things that I um, had picked up on from lean and different things that I realized could be used. So tons of that for sure. Awesome. Eva, what about you? Honestly, I don't know why I didn't think about this from the beginning because it's a recent project. Uh, But basically something that the sites, the platform team decided they want to pursue is AGDs doing these cross-docking moves that previously were done by a manual driver. And cross-docking, for those who don't know, is basically a pallet coming in from a truck and then going straight onto another truck to go shipping. It doesn't get stored and racking. It's just, you know, the the most efficient. If everything was completely synced up, everything would be cross-docked. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way. Um, So basically I was setting up everything from scratch. I created this uh, schedule uh, we call CPS of everything that needs to get done for this and who's doing it. And it's like, my name was attached to every single line item. So I was like, Oh God, this is going to be fun. Um, (laughs) So along the way to get there, there was sort of a prerequisite of something we needed to put into the site of having our virtual vehicles, which is the way we get work from the main warehouse system to the AGV warehouse system, um, having their operations restricted in a certain way. Um, And this required emulation testing. And I want to say literally every issue that could possibly have come up, came up during this testing. Um, and I kind of had to each time like root cause go through like every thing that happened, trying to figure out 
why exactly we were seeing this particular error, this error, that setup was wrong about this. And it was all things that with my prior knowledge and all the experience that I had, I never could have foreseen coming. Um, and kind of, we were able to get through all these problems. And eventually when everything did work out and I was like, ah, it's a success. This functionality works. Emulation is done. It felt like the most amazing thing ever. Cause I was like, all right, in the books, I made it happen. It was all me. Um, and then um, moving forward from that, having to get all of these systems and set up and how all these settings in place that was adding in this new innovation, this new functionality for AGVs that we had never done before. Um, so, and then getting it in the site and now it, it works at that site um, and seeing the, the results has been really cool. Um, I'm not sure if I use like a specific ISC um, topic to back me up, but I think it's kind of the thinking process of when there was an issue, figuring out what the issue is and how to resolve the issue is all back to that, that mindset of problem solving that is the engineering brain. So it was challenging and we got through. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, definitely plan, do, check, act, DMAIC, you know, all of those methodologies that we use to solve problems and define the problem, right? Cause you want to make sure that you're hitting on the right thing to solve. And I know that starting out for me, a lot of times it was hard to get to the root cause. Cause that's something that takes a lot of training and knowledge and, you know, just, doing it constantly over and over again until you feel like, yes, I did get to the root cause of the problem. This is what we're going to do to fix it. And then another good thing to do too, is to not only have one solution, but set up multiple. Okay. So this is what's going on. Here are the different solution sets that we have, and here's what the future state could look like. So that way you're also building up a business case and you're racking your brain for all of the different things that you could do to solve the problems. So yes, definitely having that feedback. And then also whatever you get to the final stage, right? When you're looking at the results of it. And I know for me, whenever I set out to do a project and I have the goals in mind, if I don't reach that goal, guess what? It's not the end of the world because you go back and you improve it again. So that's Absolutely. something that's great about what we do is that, you know, you can have an end in mind and, you know, I'm putting air quotes around that, but at the end of the day, you're going back and looking at this data and saying, okay, I see what, where I could have done better and let's do it. So that's something that I really appreciate. And it really helps to instill that continuous improvement mindset when you view problems in that manner. And at the end of the all, I documented it and added it to the standard so that we don't have that issue again. <laughs> yes. Always. Yes. Document traceability. <laughs> it's always a good thing. Right. And then another good thing about doing that too, is if you have a problem that's similar that comes up, you can say, Hey, wait a minute. I remember doing this project a few years ago. Maybe this could have a similar application and give us good results too. So documenting is all, you know, and whenever someone says we rely on tribal knowledge, it gives me the chills, right? <laughs> no, no. You know, it's great when you have knowledgeable workers and people that really, you know, know what they're doing, obviously. 
But having that documented that way, you know, you're protecting the organization so that if that person's not there anymore, you know what needs to be done to get that process done. So 100% need to document everything. Uh, Never anything wrong with that. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to kind of like switch gears here. What is something that you wish you would have learned in school that you didn't? I think that question is really hard because my job feels so specialized. Like it's very depth, not breadth. So like if they, if I was like, oh, I wish they had taught me like how, you know, AGVs work and exactly the flow of warehousing. um, It's like that wouldn't apply to then the 99% of other people who don't have that type of job. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe though, in terms of like systems and like, uh, maybe not just the flow of a warehouse, but of different veins of that, of how operations are flowing, just more examples of how it works. And then I feel like in school, the the classes where I learned the most are the ones that we had these projects that were real life. Um, and if we just had like more of those and more of our classes, um, it would have potentially set me up for success further. But I think my program did set me up for success. Well, I ended up where I am now, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I would say for me, the biggest challenge wasn't um, being able to problem solve. I felt like I had that like very well down. Um, The biggest challenge for me was like not knowing the verbiage of supply chain, right? Like what is a cross stock? Like Eva was talking about. I, I don't think I learned that until I went out to California and saw one and I'm like, what is this? What are they doing here? And they're like, oh, well, they bring a whole pallet. I mean, they bring a whole truckload of Procter and Gamble and they're sending one pallet to this DC and one pallet to this DC. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like that makes sense. Right. Like we did a bunch of very specific examples. Like we did do like warehousing allocation and warehouse flow and things like that. Um, but what we didn't hit was like, okay, the macro, how does supply chain work? Um, you know, and I think thankfully that's something that's pretty well documented, especially right now. And so like every time an article comes across my LinkedIn or different things like that, like I just soak it up and read it. And I have a whole, like, I'm like, Oh, what is this? And what are these? Like every day I'll get an email being like, well, this container doesn't have pins. I'm like, what are pins on an intermodal container? So I literally just have like a whole file folder of saved um like articles that I have to read um so I can get up to speed on my supply chain knowledge um but I don't I don't know if that's necessarily part of the industrial engineering curriculum but it would have been really cool to have maybe like a special projects class and different things like that it's almost like each company needs to have a dictionary for what they (laughs) for what it is they're talking about right so and I know you know, especially in this field, there's a lot of acronyms, LSSGV, uh, what are some other ones? Uh, CI, OPEX, you know, so all these different things. And I know that sometimes when you talk to people that work with different companies and they throw out these acronyms, like, you know what they're talking about and you're, and you're sitting there going, "Mm -hmm." and then meanwhile, I'm Googling, 
wait, what does that stand for again? Right. You know, cause everyone has specific ways that they refer to things. And I know, yeah, I definitely know for me, yeah, you almost need a dictionary or just something where it points out all the different terms and you say, oh, okay, yes. I, cause at the end of the day, you know what it is. Just people like to use different terms for, for different things. Right. So I, I totally hear that and relate to that. Every company that I've worked at has a whole different acronym set. Um, it was actually <laughs> funny that you said that because earlier today I had a meeting um, with my new boss and she started giving an explanation about uh, overall business, uh, how we're doing. And she kept saying, oh yeah, the bop, the bop this, the bop that. And I was like, what is the bop? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's like business operational planning. Uh, but I sat there in confusion for a good five minutes. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So being an ISC, there's a lot of soft skills involved, right? Because a lot of it requires collaboration with the people that are doing the work and, you know, management, even up to the executive level. So what were some of the things you learned in school in terms of soft skills, you know, communication skills and things like that? I mean, we mentioned earlier the fact that there's a lot of group projects in this in this major. And I think that kind of plays into that collaborative aspect of working with people, working with your peers um, in all the internships, too, that I had um, on the manufacturing floor. Like you work directly with technicians and trying to see how you can make an impact in improving what they do on the day-to-day, -day, making their tools more accessible, um, making the layout uh, more easy to navigate. Um, so I don't know. I just got lost in my train of thought here. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think for us, we had, so we had like a course that was called professional practice. And as it sounds, you're practicing to be a professional and it's right before graduation, um, et cetera. So that was a really like helpful and useful, had a lot of practical skill skills and tips and things. Um, but I would take a page out of my manager's book. I was asking her, I'm like, oh, like, I feel like there's a lot of things I don't know how to do. Are there any books or things that I could read up on? And she basically said, like, Annie, you've been learning by books for four years. Like, you just need to learn by doing. And that's kind of how I feel, like, in relationships. And obviously, like, there are big no-no's read books and you'll learn them. Um, but I think it, it has been really beneficial. Like the times where I have learned, um, the most about how to get buy-in from operators or how to have effective conversations or how to ask good questions, like have all been from like experience and someone saying, Oh, that was a really good job. Or, you know, your Kaizen event performs spectacularly. And you're like, well, why did that work so well? There's a lot of things that I think, um, you just gain by actually going, going through the actual thing. Definitely. This field is also kind of all about like adaptability, right? And like, that is a great soft skill to have in any business environment, um, that, you know, in, in school, you're learning about how to change things for the better, um, and how to, adapt all these different processes and situations and taking that into the workforce. It's only a force for good. What tips or advice would you offer a graduate heading into their first industrial engineering job? 
be patient with yourself. Um, not everything's going to click day one. Not everything's going to make sense. Um, there's a lot of people to meet, a lot of things that are expected of you right away. Um, and kind of taking the time to ask the questions, figure out how people like to be communicated to and kind of adapting to that um, so that you don't get too flustered, too frustrated, I think can make all the difference in starting, starting your first job out of college. Yeah. Eva, you hit on one of the things I was going to mention. Um, I think the most important skill that I've learned is to adapt to like my managers and their managers preferred communication. So for example, um, today, actually I messaged one of my managers, um, on zoom and he, like, I just know this about him because this has happened before. He is not as responsive on zoom and it wasn't anything urgent, but I think I sent it at like around nine. He responded at like 4 PM. I know for a fact that if I had sent him via email, he would have responded in like 10 minutes versus my manager who directly manages me is the opposite. Um, like she is more responsive on zoom. So I think like that is the biggest thing. And to find that out, I just ask them like, Hey, what is the quickest way to contact you? Or, Hey, if this situation happens, who would you like me to reach out to? So there's not that delay in communication. Um, and like Eva said, you can get your answer faster. Um, keep the momentum going on different projects and things. Um, that's probably been the biggest yeah, figure out who the expert is right. on the different things so you know who to reach out to about things and don't waste your time asking a thousand people before coming to the right one. And even I think that's a good lesson, like when you're networking with people, I always like if I really click with someone, I'm like, hey, can we set up another meeting? Or I'm like, hey, I'd really like you mentioned this. I'd really like to learn more about this. Who's the subject matter expert? And then go to them and ask them my 30 more questions. Um, I never think that's a bad thing. And they're always like, oh, okay, you're really interested in this. And they know that, things like that. Definitely great advice. And to add on to what y'all were saying, staying curious, always asking questions, never stop learning. That would be probably my biggest piece of advice. Eva and Annie, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Problem Solved. Wish you both the best of luck in your future endeavors. And thank you so much for sharing your experience with us thus far. Thank you. Great to meet you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.